All right, today we have Noah Williams from Noah Williams Style on the podcast. Noah, how are you? Good. How's it going, man? Excellent. Well, we love to talk to other, you know, you'd say, influencers or style guys from the fashion world. And my favorite place to start is, what was the first time you thought, I'm going to put some pictures on the internet of myself? So it actually started off kind of weird, um, and it was a very roundabout way I kind of came to it. So essentially, I have done um, commercial photo and video freelance uh, for the last, I want to say, four and a half, almost five years now. And, you know, I was doing it, and I finally got to the point where I decided, you know, let's do, you know, a nice website. Um, so I set it all up with Squarespace. Um, not a... Not a sponsored plug, unfortunately, but used Squarespace and set it up. Uh, actually took my time with it, so it took about, uh, I want to say, like two and a half months uh, and really tweaked everything and, you know, got different people's opinions and, you know, just made the biggest deal out of it I could. And what happened was I launched it and after about a month, month and a half, um, it completely dropped off. Um, in terms of viewership, because once you've essentially seen someone's portfolio, uh, you know, you're kind of done. So I started brainstorming and just thinking, you know, how can I um, bring traffic? And I thought, well, you know, I've always enjoyed writing, so let's just um, let's just do a blog and kind of see what happens. So, you know, I started out doing camera gear uh, and just different random things. And then I actually had a friend who worked for Lululemon at the time um, who helped shoot some of their e-commerce stuff. Um, and, like, the images you see on, like, uh, like, an email blast. So she had a deadline. I was there, and she just said, you know, throw this stuff on, and let's shoot it real quick, and we'll use it for a thing. You can keep the clothing, um, and it'll be fun. So I did that with her, and I was like, oh, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, and I got to keep the clothes, and I ended up deciding to do a post on what to shoot whenever you're photographing, or what to wear, rather, whenever you're photographing weddings. And I used the Lululemon stuff, and I actually did my first flat lay um, using it, and, you know, that was kind of cool. So I did some more stuff like that. Um, and then I started, I think I had about a thousand followers, maybe even a little bit less at the time. Um, but just started pitching brands. Um, and I, I think the first company I worked with, and we can talk about watch stuff later cause I know you're both kind of into watches. Um, but the first company that sent me something was Daniel Wellington. And, you know, I thought, oh, how cool. Like I got a free watch and, you know, I just have to take some photos of it. There's a lot of fun. So I kept just, you know, 10 brands a week pitching. Um, I kind of had a general email I would go off of and plug in specific products um, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, did that and ended up actually, I think it was about a year and a half later. So um, the second company I worked with about you know, a month after to kind of rewind after Daniel Wellington was Johnson Murphy Boots um, and their PR firm. And actually ended up um, coming, I want to say it was probably October or so, and I was about to graduate with my associates and didn't know, um, you know, if I wanted to take a gap semester um, or just work or do, you know, whatever else before finishing up school. Um, so I actually ended up working with Johnson Murphy's um, PR account, Battalion PR, in New York, and... I had been doing the style stuff, I want to say, for about 
maybe like a year and a half, two years at that point, I had, I think, like 7,000 followers, um, which coming from a small town was like a big deal, but, you know, it's really not. But kind of kept doing it, and then I was interning with them. Uh, so I was actually on the opposite side, um, sending out product, finding influencers, and that's kind of when I really got into it, um, just because it was, it was a lot of fun and it was what I was doing for work. Um, and that was two years ago now, so that would have been uh, kind of the spring of 2016. Um, and I've just kind of kept doing it ever since, so that's, that's how we got here. <laughs> That's really interesting that you've seen both sides, you know, the, the, uh, obviously you're, you know, whether you like the term or not, like you'd be considered a, a men's fashion influencer. And then you've worked on the PR side, which is, you know, and anybody with a decent following on the internet is probably, you know, understands that once you get to a certain point, you're inundated, you know, with PR requests. So you, you must have a pretty unique perspective on, on that, having seen both sides. Yeah, and you know, actually, I finished up the internship, um, and I'm actually in my last semester now at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, um, to do PR. So I'm still, you know, I've worked at a couple other agencies, um, and I'll probably go that route. So, you know, in the weirdest of ways, um, Instagram kind of gave me my uh, my career path. So it's kind of cool to see. Now, was it, I, I thought I read somewhere in an interview with you that you had gotten in, that you were into skateboarding and you got into photography after an injury. Is that uh, true? Yeah. So I um, I played uh, just about every sport growing up, um, and then I got into skateboarding. And to my parents' disdain, uh, any college scholarships went out the window. Um, and I started skateboarding. I think I was like twelve or thirteen, um, and I ended up actually breaking. I had a compound fracture uh, and a tiny little bone um, on the underside of your wrist. And it took about six months to heal, so I had nothing to do. Uh, and I had a tiny little Kodak point-and-shoot um, that could do video and obviously photo as well. And I started just kind of you know, making dumb little videos of my friends skating. Uh, and then I think about a year, maybe two years later, I got a DSLR, and uh, that's kind of where everything took off from there. Nice. And I know that you've done uh, some video recently. I know you have a YouTube channel. Um, and and actually, some of your videos, uh, you only have a few videos on there, but they were I thought they were really high quality and, and pretty well done. I mean, is that something that you'd get back into, do you think? Yeah. You know, I think I... Um, obviously, I've seen both of your, your YouTube channels quite a bit. And you know, I really like what you guys do, and I want to be able to do that. Um, but just as a college student right now, you know, I'm doing 18 credit hours, which is a full load um, to graduate on time. So right now, it's one of those things I just don't have the time to do. Um, but I definitely think, you know, after graduation, when I kind of have um, evenings and weekends freed up, um, it's something I've wanted to do because I love making videos. Um, and obviously, you know, I've done it. Um, commercially, and I've shot a bunch of wedding stuff, and I still, um, rather than having a normal job, I still do freelance um, cinematography and photography. Um, but it's a lot of fun just creating your own thing, and I think, um, as both of you can probably attest to, you know, there's there's a good amount of, um, you know, menswear, I don't want to say vloggers, but just content creators on YouTube, um, we'll put it that way. But it's still a growing thing. You know, menswear is more and more becoming something that's, uh, you know, more commonplace. Guys are kind of caring more about what they're wearing. So I think it's, you know, 
I think YouTube will definitely be um, not necessarily the next Instagram because um, it's a bit different, but I think it's going to continue to evolve um, and certainly for menswear, I think it's a great thing to be on. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes when when you're in the community, it feels like it's very saturated. But if you just look at, if you kind of zoom out and look at the population in general, I think more and more guys every day are just discovering, you know, menswear and fashion and getting oh, yeah. into it. So I think we're we're very much at the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, you think about the amount of beauty bloggers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, my girlfriend must follow, you know, thousands of them. I mean, and menswear compared to that, you know, yeah, there's some accounts, um, and I would even argue the majority of accounts um, aren't great. Um, there's still a lot of, you know, Yeezy unboxings and all that kind of thing. Um, but I think, you know, menswear, it's something it's going to be around for a while and it's certainly going to continue to evolve. And I know my audience, um, just from looking at like Instagram statistics, is 18 to like 34 um, makes up about 70 some percent of it. Um, so I th- certainly think it's, you know, it's prevalent to uh, younger guys. So that was something that Travis from the Unkept Gentleman mentioned is that he's worked with uh, Real Man Real Style for a while. And the way that Antonio sees things is like, Rising tides lift all boats. Uh, I think I think it's an IBM term, the blue ocean strategy. And so, yeah, I totally agree with that. Now, for you, like on all your photos, I would consider what you have as like a classic gentleman style. Did that start uh, pretty early for you, or when did that become something that you were like uh, you had a sartorial mind? Um, the concept of it started early. Uh, I think if any of us look back at our photos, there's. Some uh, very ill-fitted blazers and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I've always kind of taken the, what I would consider the classic American prep um, with a bit of sartorial. So not not the bubblegum prep of Vineyard Vines and that kind of thing, but Brooks Brothers, you know, Ralph Lauren, um, really that kind of classic, classic style with a twist. Um, so, you know, about a bit slimmer fitting stuff. Um, just, I guess it's an updated look, you know, if you will, on on that type of thing. But yeah, I think I always kind of knew that's what I wanted to stylistically do. Um, and I think I've just kind of grown that, um, to be better and better over the years. I love it. I remember that turning point too, when I was like, you know what, it feels really good to dress up in a nice way. Oh yeah. Um, I was also wondering though, do you consistently work with another photographer or do you do a lot of your own shots? Because um, obviously the, the outfit grids and, and some of the flat lays you can do, but uh, you also get a lot of shots of yourself as well. Do you have like a, a group of people you work with in Charlotte? So I um, I grew up, or I guess the last 12 years or so, I lived in Winston-Salem. And there, honestly, you know, all my friends um, were just other photographers and other video guys. So a lot of the time... Um, they would just shoot stuff for me. But at this point, uh, and really for the last year and a half, almost two years, um, it's been really just handing off the camera to my girlfriend and, you know, putting in all the settings and saying, here's the focus point, put it on my face and, you know, let's try to shoot it. So I really, I really don't work with any photographers at this point. All the outfit grids I shoot myself. Um, so it's really just uh, me and her at this point. And then a follow-up to that would be, do you find being in Charlotte is uh, is a blessing or a curse compared to, like, 
L.A. or San Francisco or New York where you would have just like an even bigger community of people doing what we do. Sure. Um, Charlotte is kind of like the... I'm going to call it the New York City of the South because, you know, kind of the tri-state area around here. So Charlotte is the big city, um, even though I think it's like 17th or something. Um, So... Yeah, there's more influencers here, but not so much for menswear. Um, but it's a blessing in the sense that people realize that's a thing here, if that kind of makes sense. So I'm kind of, you know, I genuinely only know of about maybe five to ten guys um, who are doing the same thing. Um, and when I lived in New York, I was there for my internship for about five months. It's it's not competitive. So, you know, I was meeting up with other people and photographing stuff with them, and it wasn't you know, who can get more campaigns or anything like that. You know, there's enough um, sort of menswear niches and just the size of the market is big enough where it's not really competitive. So, you know, I think it's a blessing to kind of be in the South and um, not, it's it's almost like sort of a form of education, not to sound snobby, but like to show people, you know, genuinely being able to teach and show kind of the local community um, how to dress better. Because, you know, a lot of guys in the South, um, especially I grew up in a very, very small town, and you didn't dress up. I mean, you dressed up for church, but, you know, outside of that, um, you would kind of be seen as odd if, you know, you liked clothing and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, being able to show more and more guys, you know, this is, it's, it's okay to look nice, you know, it feels good. Um, And it even, I would argue, in a lot of cases makes you work better and kind of work smarter and, you know, makes you um, kind of pumps up your self-esteem a little bit, if that makes sense. So in a roundabout kind of long way of saying, you know, I think it's a blessing to be able to bring um, some style and some fashion kind of stuff and show local guys that it's doable and it's not like this weird New York, you know, runway thing where you're wearing all black and makeup and all that kind of stuff, you know, I think... You know, I think style is a very um, attainable and good thing, even if you don't have a big budget, you know? I mean, both of you guys are familiar with Uniqlo and all that kind of thing, and it might not be the best quality, um, but being able to show people those types of brands, uh, I think is definitely a good thing. Yeah, man. Yeah, I agree. I wonder, do, do you have any, after growing up, you know, pretty sizable Instagram account and being on that platform for a while, obviously things change a lot on Instagram, but do you have any advice for people starting out or people who want to get more traction on that platform in terms of like not only growth, but also just navigating how to work with brands and, you know, what to charge or uh, when to accept free product or just, just that whole world. Yeah, sure. Um, so the, I guess I kind of have three tips, um, cause this is something I get asked a lot. The first is consistency, um, you know, getting, or just producing rather um, good content, you know, day after day after day after day after day. Um, And then following up that with just being patient and realizing, you know, you're not going to get a brand offer, especially now that there's so many, you're not going to get a brand offer necessarily at 1,000 followers or 2,000 followers, you know. So you're going to have to be very consistent um, and uploading and patient. And then the biggest thing is just really not expecting anything out of it. As counterintuitive as that sounds, you know, really, you just need to enjoy it. Um, because if you're trying to do it as a business, you know, I have people contact me and, you know, we'll meet up for coffee and they'll say, you know, I want to do this as a business. I want this to be a side income. It sounds great. 
how can I make money off of it? Um, and I'll kind of give those two tips and then I'll say, it's, it's probably not going to happen for a while. Um, and I don't think you can look at it as a side business, at least in the beginning. I mean, there's really, there's so much good content out there right now. Um, and I think, uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Four Card. Um, they're an agency in New York that kind of acts like a middleman, um, but it's one of the better ones. And they have a YouTube series um, that's really worth checking out called A Drink With James, where he talks about all the tips and tricks and how to do stuff. And he sat down with, um, I think it was Modi Ankari and um, Marcel Flores, however you say his name. And you know they were both talking about how back in the day, if you got posted, or reposted rather, by a brand with um, you know, say 20, 30,000 followers, you would get maybe like a thousand followers um, just because there wasn't a lot out there yet. So people were looking for things to follow. But now, you know, I got reposted by Brooks Brothers um, a few months ago, and I think I got maybe 20 followers out of it, uh, and they have over 100,000. So, you know, it's a lot more difficult. It's not undoable, it's certainly something that you can do, um, but you just have to be really, really patient with it um, and just produce, you know, great content. I think having a certain perspective and having a certain kind of voice and tone in mind um, going into your content so you know, you know, I'm gonna do American prep with a twist, that's my voice, I'm gonna shoot flat lays, that's what it is, it's gonna be consistent, and it's gonna be something scalable. So, you know, no matter what's going on, I know I can get out one image a day of this. Being able to do that, I definitely think, can help you grow um, your platform. Literally just yesterday, I got reposted by Watch Gang that has 30,000 subscribers or 30,000 followers on Instagram, and I think I saw two come back to me. I think it's it's crazy. Yeah, it is. And even, I mean, you know, fast or go back like two and a half, three years, one of the ways I actually got bigger was Daniel Wellington. And they had, I want to say like half a million followers or something there, however many millions now, but they had half a million followers. And I got, I think over the course of like six months or something, three reposts by them. And I knew every repost I was going to get 200 followers. That doesn't happen anymore. So it's definitely, it's a lot harder to grow. Um, and a lot of people complain about the algorithm. If you look at Instagram's overall engagement right now, it's the highest it's ever been. So it's almost that you have to keep pushing yourself and keep putting out better content. Um, basically, kind of the beginning of the year, end of last year, I decided, you know, I'm going to kind of, I'll still have some images of myself, but I'm going to do a lot of flat lays because that's what's going to grow it. Um, and I want to be able to grow it. And I enjoy shooting flat lays, so it's not like it's work or anything, but I have seen a ton of growth. I went from, you know, a couple hundred a month to I think last month I had like almost a thousand followers that I had gained. So I think it's doable, but you just have to kind of know what you're doing um, and put out good content. Well, what do you think now about all of these uh, platforms like FameBit and Forecard and um, Tap Influence, and I mean, there's a million of them now. Uh, what do you think about those versus working directly with brands or working through you know, talent agencies? It's funny because literally right before we jumped on here, um, I get about one a week or so pitching me, uh, and this Glambassador, I've never heard of it, but just pitched me on doing. They're like a you know a medium for brands and influencers. 
Uh, and it's it's funny because there are so many, like you said. I use, uh, I think I'm on like three or four, and I only do it because it's free, and it usually takes less than five minutes to sign up for, so why not? Um, you know, it's kind of a tough one. I mean, I, at least in the beginning, got most of my stuff just from emailing brands directly, um, and obviously smaller brands, um, Four card really is the best one. Um, they, at least from what I've seen and the work I've gotten from them, you know, they really do have good clients. Um, so I've worked with Cartier, did a thing with them for fragrance. Ralph Lauren did a fragrance thing with them um, that I got onto, and they're they're kind of the best one. I've used you know Muse Find, um, and I think it's called Coley. Coley, something like that. Um, and, you know, I've got some stuff from them. Um, but I think if there's really a brand you want to work with, you know, definitely try to reach out to them. Um, I think that's the best route to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. What are your uh, plans for not only this year, but also just the future of, uh, we'll call it Noah Williams Media? Sure. Um, so I'm pretty much just working on right now growing my Instagram, uh, like I said, through Flatlays and just creating more and more of an audience. Um, you know, when I graduate and hopefully I'll have more time, I would like to do, you know, a weekly YouTube video. Um, I don't think I could do daily or anything like that, but just a weekly kind of YouTube thing because, you know, once you've grown your audience on one platform, it's easier to kind of steer them to another Um, so I think, you know, I'd love to do the YouTube thing, um, and just work with more and more brands. You know, I, um, I posted my first blog post in, I want to say a few months, um, and it actually got a really good response. It was about, I think it was my top four, top three affordable watches. Um, and people like to see that kind of thing. So, you know, I definitely think, um, writing more blog posts and just getting some video content in there, um, would be what I would love to do. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Do you see yourself working, you know, basically for your own company or building a company or or, or going into, uh, you know, working for a, another company like a PR agency after school? Um, honestly, kind of both. So I, like I said, I've done commercial and photo and video for a while, um, as well as weddings. Weddings are a great side business to be in um, because obviously you can do it on the weekend. So I, you know, I'm definitely going to keep that going um, along with some commercial work as much as I can do. Um, I will probably get some type of agency job or marketing um, and get more experience. And then, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, I would like to really go out on my own then um, when I, you know, have a bigger network and more experience um, to really be able to do something. But, you know, for now, I'm just going to find a, you know, a decent job and kind of put in my hours there and have some fun. Yeah. The blog post that you mentioned with the, the top watches are 250. Uh, I think you should be, uh, blessed purely for finding that Federate constant constant for two under $200 and, and promoting that over some of the Daniel Wellington stuff. Because if there's one thing that I've consistently heard from like my comments and everything else is that, uh, people are looking for exactly that type of thing. And, that's an incredible find. But I also notice you have pictures of the like my Grail watch, which is the AP Royal Oak, and I want to hear the story behind that. Those photos. Yeah. So one of the really really great things about being able to use a camera 
is you can go to most small jewelers and stuff like that. So I actually, um, that's my grail watch as well. Um, I don't know if I'd go with the rose gold or the, um, I love the new platinum. I don't know if you guys saw that. It's like a platinum steel mix. Um, but I essentially have a pretty good relationship with Diamonds Direct. Um, they have a watch boutique called ECJ Lux. Um, and they have the super, super high end, you know, anything AP, um, Speak Marin, you know, stuff over $100,000. Um, trying to think what else I've shot for them. But I pretty much, you know, I just have a good relationship and I can go in there and, you know, they'll, for whatever reason, let me, you know, take out watches and shoot them and walk around the, uh, the building with them and do that. So that's how that came about. And that, it's crazy because I've done stuff, you know, with, um, the local Ferrari and Porsche dealer and all that kind of thing. And whenever, like, you imagine wearing that watch and you imagine sitting in that car, but when you actually get to, you start shaking a little bit. I mean, it's just, it's hilarious. Um, so I remember the first time I went into Diamonds Direct, I had, you know, hunted them down on Instagram, um, or their watch boutique, rather, hunted them down, you know, just berated the guy with emails saying, hey, I'd love to come shoot stuff for you guys just for free. Like, I just want to come hang out. Um, and he eventually let me do it. And I think the first watch I picked out was probably a Royal Oak. And you put it on and you just kind of start, just a little little tremor starts going. Um, and it's so crazy to get to see that kind of stuff. I'm incredibly lucky. You know, I've gotten to, um, through working with them, they have an Aston Martin dealer as well. Um, the Ferrari, it's Ferrari, um, Aston Martin, Maserati, and Porsche. Um, and, you know, I've got to drive Aston Martins. And that is, like, it's an unreal experience. So that's, that's one really great thing um, that all this has brought about is I've just got to see so many so many cool things and so many cool experiences um, through that. So the AP was cool. There was also, and I can't remember the name of the brand. I'm going to try to look it up on my Instagram right now. But there was a watch. I want to say it was a Balkpon. Uh, if that's how you say that, Balkpon. But I don't know much about Balkpan, and if you guys, I'm sure, um, John, you know about them, um, but they, they have brands like Nomos um, and other stuff, or no, it was a glass suit, it was a glass suit, and he gave me this watch. Oh yeah, they're owned by the this, this Swatch company. Yeah, yeah, so glass suit, so he gives me this watch, and it's, um, it's back in the summer, I'm going to find it here in a second, but... He gives it to me, and, you know, I've photographed stuff for them for, you know, a while now. I've gone in and out, and, you know, pretty good friends with them. So he gives me this watch. Yeah, it's a, wait, no. It is a bulk pond. Okay, it's a bulk pond. So he gives me this watch, and I go, oh, you know, that's cool. Uh, it's a tourbillon, which, um, you know, anyone listening knows, you know, it's kind of like the highest of the, um, the watch movements out there. And, you know, I take it out, and I'm like, oh, this is, like, you know, it's pretty nice. Um... And it's white gold. It was either white gold or platinum. I can't remember what it was. But um, it was an annual calendar with that tourbillon movement. And I, you know, I thought it was probably 30 or 40 grand. I took it out. And I come back in. And I'm like, oh. Oh, it had a moon phase as well. So just like every, so annual, can't talk, annual calendar, moon phase, tourbillon, white gold. I brought it back in. I was like, oh, you know, it's a pretty cool watch. How much does that one run for? Like 30, 40 something? And he said, oh, no, it's about $175,000. <laughs> and 
And I, I was like, you, what? You let me walk out with that? I mean, I walked out in the parking lot. I was shooting stuff with it, you know, um, carefully, of course, but I was just walking around with it on my wrist. Um, and it ended up being that. And then he gave me another one um, that was a meager, I think it was like 130-something um, thousand dollar watch and it was it's unreal um, but so Daniel Wellington was like your intro to that world and said have you now fallen into getting more into the horology side of things overall oh yeah so I like I said I'm a college student so I don't have uh, a ton of um, disposable income for that but um, I think both of you guys are familiar with Theo and Harris um, Christian he's a great guy I watch all his videos I've talked to him a few times um, and kind of the current Grail watch, um, which I will get from him because he's been such great, great help in just answering questions, is a um, Rolex Datejust 1601 stainless steel jewelry bracelet, um, silver face, or kind of the linen, linen um, dial. Uh, that's kind of the, the Grail watch right now. Affordable Grail watch, I would say. Um, but it's definitely something I have an interest in. Um, for sure. That can be a graduation watch. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm pushing for. You can get them, um, you know, it's crazy. People kind of have a stigma around Rolex. Um, and it is an expensive watch, you know, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, between 3000 and four grand, um, all day long, you can find really nice examples. Um, I actually went into the guy who I have um, occasionally do, like, watch repairs and change out batteries. And he, um, he walked in the back one day and he brought out these two... Datejust 1601s. I think one was a 1601, one was a 1603. Um, a stainless steel with a linen dial and a two-tone with a blue dial. So check these out. You know, someone's selling these for, you know, I think he wanted like 2,600. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're out there. They're a little beat up, but I mean, overall, I kind of love, I like vintage stuff in general. Um, so to me, you know, it's cool to see stuff that's really weathered time and you know, been through things, but I went to, I, I was just doing some errands a couple of days ago and there's, there's a couple of places you can buy, um, like higher end watches around me, but there's, there's one in particular that has a pretty, like pretty big selection of new Rolexes. And, sure. uh, I was just trying on some of the, cause I've never worn a, a new, uh, like day trust or always perpetual. And, oh, that's um, a beautiful thing. Oh man. They're, they're just, they're just so nice. Yeah. That's dangerous. It, it was like, it was, it was, it was hard to take it off. <laughs> yeah, my buddy, or not an acquaintance, I should say, um, he owns, or his father owns a local um, jeweler that has Rolex, um, Patek, all that kind of stuff. And he let me try on a, uh, it was a new Datejust 41. And um, I want to say it was, it wasn't rose gold. I think it was just normal yellow gold with that champagne dial. And uh, I think it came in at like eleven grand or something like that. But you know, good grief, that's that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I could definitely talk about watches all day. I find myself liking Rolexes more and more. But uh, I can't wait to see how you grow your channel coming up here. And I would love to uh, catch up again shortly. Is there anywhere you want to point people to in particular? Uh, if you're not already, follow me on Instagram at Noah Williams Style. Great. And then will we see you at Menfluential in Atlanta in February? You know, we'll see. I had someone mention that to me. Um, that's Antonio's thing, isn't it? Yeah, Brock and I are going to do a little bit of a meetup when we get there. And so 
if you make your way there, maybe we'll uh, we'll see you. But thanks for coming up on the Button Up Podcast, and we will talk to you again soon, Noah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.